KBTC, a viewer-supported community service of Bates Technical College. From KBTC Public Television Studios in Tacoma, Washington. Welcome to the Steve on the Street podcast, a closer look behind the headlines. As public policy and current affairs impact the real lives of real people. Hi there. Welcome, everyone, to the Steve on the Street podcast. I am photojournalist and reporter Steve Kiggins. This podcast is produced by the Northwest Now program found on KBTC Channel 28 at Tacoma, Washington. Today's podcast deals with our impending climate crisis. Today we're talking about a, uh, a pair of reports from the University of Washington and Gonzaga University released earlier this summer in June talking about extreme heat and the toll that the extreme heat takes on the public at large. So we're going to start with our coverage up in the North Cascades near the town of New Halem, where Washington SR-20 has been closed due to a wildfire that threatens some of the infrastructure up there. We're going to talk with um, some folks that work on the front lines of the fire, and then we'll have an extended interview with Peter Irvin, who is a public information officer uh, with uh, Wildland Firefighting. He's got an incredible story to tell and some interesting insight on how firefighters are probably best suited to tackle the challenges of these excess heat warnings. They negotiate challenging terrain and gusts and winds that push this fire up and down these canyons, growing to hundreds of acres in size. That's why there's nearly 350 firefighters fighting the sourdough fire, all while temperatures outside continue rising. This is as far as one can get into the North Cascades. Since the end of July, WashDOT closed the northern route to all traffic so firefighters can work without distraction. Fire seasons didn't used to be this long. When I was in California 40 years ago, we had a summer season. Public Information Officer Pete Irving earned his stripes digging fire lines, hiking the backcountry. He's been fighting wildland fires for decades. He says firefighters' number one defense to danger is their physical fitness marching with heavy, tool-laden packs, plus staying hydrated and looking out for each other keeps crews safe, he says. But stronger heat waves may present new challenges to old John. Fire seasons are getting longer and more extreme, and it means the firefighters are under more stress, and we're concerned both about physical and mental health. Lots of smart folks are taking lots of good actions to keep all the firefighters safe and fit. This graph reminds us that we cannot focus only on the weeks or months ahead, but on preparation for decades to come, which may continue to resemble this this same trend. Gonzaga's Center for Climate, Society, and the Environment shared its findings this summer after the strong 2021 heat dome slammed the Pacific Northwest. Average daytime highs are getting warmer than we would we should reasonably expect. Additionally, the University of Washington's June report, titled In the Hot Seat, shared striking heat-related death data, pointing to this spike over the 2021 heat dome, where 18 heat-related deaths 
where daily average in the hot seat suggests installing green roofs and shade structures to reduce the impacts of urban heat islands. Plus, shuttling vulnerable populations to cooler areas can offer relief to the heat. The report also pointed to already proven strategies, like scheduling rehydration breaks, shifting outdoor worker hours, and increasing shade with temporary structures leads to immediate positive impacts on public health. Plus, a bigger impact for wildland firefighters, humanity's growth into more wild areas makes their work even more challenging. North, south, east, west, and I've been back to the same place several times. Uh, and usually when I go back, there's more houses and there's more human-made infrastructure in the wildland that makes our job as wildland firefighters more difficult. In the North Cascades, Steve Kiggins, Northwest Now. My name is Peter Irvin, P-E-T-E-R-I-R-V-I-N-E. -E. An awful long title. I'm, an inf I'm a public information officer with the Southern Area Gray team on the Sourdough Fire. What, what, what number of fire is this for your team this year? Uh, this is our second role this year as a team. We worked a big fire down on the coast of North Carolina a couple months ago. How's this one turning out to be? This is a challenging assignment. Um, we're not in our home country but we've got experienced fire managers with years and years of experience and training. Uh, we're working with some firefighters in extremely steep and difficult terrain, uh, inaccessible, lots of hazards, rolling rocks, loose footing, very, dangerous. very, very steep slopes. It is dangerous work. That's what the firefighters train for. How do you even train for these steep slopes? Yeah, so for this fire, uh, in, in this country, they use some specialized firefighters called Hella Repellers. So they actually repel out of helicopters into terrain that would be much more difficult to access by hiking in on foot. And those were the first firefighters on sourdough after it was discovered. So you've got men and women in a ripstop, packs full of gear, repelling out of perfectly capable flying machines to rocks below that are on fire. That's right. The Hella repellers are a very specialized type of firefighter and they're aerially delivered. The helicopter brings them in and they leave a perfectly good helicopter to land on extremely steep and inaccessible ground to get to fires that are very difficult to reach from the road system. Holy, I just can't even imagine that in my mind's eye. Have you seen that? I have. That must be some sight to see. It is. You know, uh, firefighters come in many different configurations. We have a lot of different ground crews, hotshot crews and type 2 IA crews, engine crews, dozer crews, and then we have very specialized uh, aerially delivered firefighters, smoke jumpers, hella repellers. And then of course we use aviation assets for other reasons. Recon, uh, water drops, retardant drops, both helicopters and various types of fixed wing aircraft. What can you tell our viewers about what makes this region, this, this specific area, maybe more challenging than some others? No doubt they all have their own challenges, but you're socked in by old growth and highly susceptible infrastructure. 
So the sourdough fire is burning in North Cascades National Park Service complex on lands managed by the Park Service as both the Ross Lake National Recreation Area and North Cascades National Park. Uh, Congress does not designate national parks in just any old place. They are very, very special places with dramatic landscapes. North Cascades is known for high mountains, glaciers, mountaineering opportunities, backcountry opportunities. It's very steep ground, it's very dissected ground, meaning lots of ridges that go in lots of different directions, steep river corridors and, and lakes. It's beautiful country, but it's very unforgiving country. So people have to go in prepared and be thinking about safety always. When you hand over a team management team, what is the, the reason for that? And, and um, uh, how long does that operation take? Is that typical? <clears throat> so when a new wildland fire starts, the local jurisdiction, the unit with responsibility for that piece of ground, uh, provides the initial attack firefighting effort. In this case, firefighters from North Cascades National Park came to the fire initially. When it proved not to be suppressible with their initial efforts, they knew additional help was needed, then word goes up through the chain and the local uh, supervisor makes a decision to bring in an incident management team, a specialized team of fire managers to manage that fire and free up local resources so they can be ready for the next new fire. Um, in this case, there's a task called a complexity analysis. And the complexity, the complexity analysis decides how difficult and what level of an incident management team is appropriate. In this case, the Southern Area Gray Team, which is a type three team, came in. We were already pre-positioned in this region uh, because they expected fires. And we came up here and engaged and took over the firefighting responsibilities from the local forces after a couple days. The fire stayed relatively small, but we're in a country that has a significant Skagit River gorge with some very um, powerful local wind forces. And so on Friday afternoon, we had 45 mile an hour winds come up through the gorge. And the local folks know that there's a gorge effect to the wind. It doesn't just come from a single direction. When it gets into that country, the wind gets fractured by the topography and amplified. And so the fire grew in three different directions on Friday afternoon, to the north, to the east, and then back to the west, which is relatively unusual to happen at the same time. Um, and the fire went from under 100 acres, about 38 acres, up to 530 acres, and then from 530 to about 1,300 in the course of a few hours. Uh, our firefighters were in safe locations. They were primarily involved with structure protection efforts at the communities at the foot of the fire, and our 
aerial resources, our helicopters kept delivering water throughout that time. I wanted to ask you just a couple of questions about this, the structures and the, the last piece of sound I heard, I think it was from this morning, talked about that successful defense. I mean, and that's been morning after morning after you morning. Bet. There's a bunch of stuff real low to the lake, the lakes that you guys are doing whatever it takes to keep safe. Right. So one of the features of this Skagit River Valley is that it's the home of three dams that were built many years ago by the city of Seattle as power generation dams. And so Ross Lake and Ross Dam, Diablo Lake and Diablo Dam, and then Gorge Lake and Gorge Dam all have infrastructure associated with them to deliver electricity towards Seattle. And there are city personnel on site living here 24-7 in little communities along with all the infrastructure. You know, the turbines, the generating houses, the shop buildings, the houses for the workers. And so there's little, the little community of Diablo. There's also a large environmental learning center by the North Cascades Institute. And uh, there's also the Ross Lake Resort further away from the fire, but within potential of harm's way. And so even though we're wildland firefighters, we have structure protection, we have structural fire expertise, and those are the values at risk in this case. And so we have focused a lot of our efforts on protecting the identified values at risk, the structures and the infrastructure. We do that by setting up portable water tanks, hose lays, sprinkler systems, and in some cases, wrapping the structure in fire-resistant material. What does that even mean? So in this case, on the sourdough fire, the name of the fire comes from Sourdough Mountain. And on top of Sourdough Mountain is the historic Sourdough Mountain fire lookout from the 1930s. A, a wooden structure that is listed on the National Register of Historic Places. Um, how do you do structure protection in those areas? Well, wrapping a structure means taking a very specialized fire-resistant material that looks like tin foil on steroids and completely wrapping the structure uh, from rooftop to ground level, overlapping tight seams so that if fire gets near it, if fire passes by it, it will not ignite the structure. I envision something like wrapped in silver as if it looks like it's under a Christmas tree. Exactly. It can look like, uh, it can look like a shiny present. It can look like uh, something that came out of the oven. <laughs> <laughs> I read that this morning. I thought, what in the world is this? I've never heard of this. This is not new, though. It is not new. Uh, structure wrap can be used for things like highway bridges where there's wooden bridges. They can be wrapped, wooden houses, historic structures. Wow. It is expensive and time consuming. Sure. So our preference is to build defensible space around those structures by managing vegetation or setting up sprinklers and water handling equipment without having to wrap each structure. How sure. do you stay cool when, you, when you're battling flames in your face? Right, so wildland firefighters work very hard in challenging terrain 
in extreme conditions sometimes. Fires happen when it's hot and dry. Uh, and firefighters wear protective gear that's heavy, long sleeve shirts, fire resistant pants, shirts, carrying a fire shelter. Every firefighter on the ground is carrying somewhere between 25 and 50 pounds of gear on a routine basis. Their, their tools, their water, their, all of their equipment. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And heat, <coughs> heat is a big factor for firefighters. So ways to be safe when firefighting is number one, to be fit. There's physical conditioning programs and physical requirements to be a, a wildland firefighter on the hill, um, to take frequent breaks, lots of hydration, lots of hydration. And we always have uh, line medics, EMTs, safety officers involved, ambulances on standby, that kind of thing. Um, you know, fire seasons didn't used to be this long. When I was in California 40 years ago, we had a summer season and lots of the firefighters were college students because the season was over by the time the fall semester started. Fire seasons are getting longer and more extreme and it means the firefighters are under more stress and we're concerned both about physical and mental health and Lots of smart folks are taking lots of good actions to keep all the firefighters safe and fit. You've got like medics and, and uh, folks that are trained to, to like swoop in at, at like the, the time that's needed, but you have to, right? Because these guys are out there, they can't become a liability for the other 20, right. 30 men and women that they're on top of the mountain with. That's some serious so, issues. So, you know, from the, from the rookie firefighter on the ground to the incident commander leading the firefighting effort, safety of the firefighters and the public is always the top priority. Looking out for ourselves, each person looking out for themselves and the folks around them. We have folks dedicated as safety officers. They're not out there trying to dig line and hose down structures. They're making sure the folks doing that are doing it safely. It's big. We have rapid extraction units. We have dead. We have uh, specially configured helicopters to be able to do short hauls and hoists in case somebody gets hurt in a bad place. Well, and we main, have all that yeah. prearranged yeah. so that we're ready yeah. if something bad happens. A whole portfolio of options and opportunities. Yeah. Make sure folks walk out of there. Here's an opportunity for you. Open mic in front of a TV camera. <laughs> Told you about 15 minutes, and I've exceeded that by at least 10. I no, apologize. No worries. <coughs> you know, as a, as a retired Forest Service person, as a wildland firefighter on an interagency wildland fire incident management team, it's a privilege to work with other dedicated people trying to protect the public lands that we all love so much and do it safely and protect houses, lives, and property. In 40 some years, there's probably circumstances where you revisit an area and remember saving Sourdough Mountain Lookout. I, 
or some equivalent? You know, I, I've had the opportunity to fight fire uh, in a variety of states. I don't keep a number, but north, south, east, west, and I've been back to the same place several times. Yeah. Uh, and usually when I go back, there's more houses and there's more human-made infrastructure in the wildland that makes our job as wildland firefighters more difficult. But more important than ever. Well, I could listen to Peter for hours. Uh, the man knows his game. He knows his job and he knows what they're there to do. And he uh, shares it with, uh, <laughs> with an exacting um, respect that truly is fascinating to listen to. Uh, I was certainly hanging on every word that he shared with us, especially dealing with um, you know, the, the conditioning and the physical fitness that's required of those who are out there humping up and down these hills with 25, 50 pounds on their packs just to try to make sure that these fires are put out before they really put any of us in danger. So thanks again to Public Information Officer Peter Irvin. Thanks to you for listening to this Steve on the Street podcast and look forward to you joining in the next one. Thanks again. Take care.